Thirty years ago, Joanna, Doug, and I met at the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. Now, after years of experiences, we are visiting with our classmates to ask, if you could have a beer with your younger self right after graduating with your MBA, what were the key decision points in your career path? What advice would you provide? And what are the stories behind the lessons? Martha White spent her career in human resources for Fortune 500 companies such as Allied Signal, Honeywell, Merck, GlaxoSmithKline, and Bridgestone. After moving to Italy in 1999, she spent the last 20 years living and working in Europe. HR is too often an afterthought to business leaders growing or transforming companies. Martha has steered her own career to avoid such managers and has become a key resource and leader for companies navigating our dynamic business environment. Welcome, Martha White. Martha, it was really, it's always great to see you at the reunions. Um, and I especially know the journey you, t- you take to get there. Uh, but, you know, those reunions were all there for this brief time. And uh, I've kind of kept track of you because we've been in similar career paths, uh, mm-hmm. which working with people and um, that was definitely a rare area of focus or at least where people uh, gravitated towards at Darden and uh, I have seen your LinkedIn profile before but when I really looked at it in detail kind of doing my homework for this you have stayed the course you have (laughs) the human resources, whatever it's being called, human capital uh, these days. So we just want to kind of turn it over to you and hear your story. And also, we're very, all of us, curious about any junctures or uh, in in your journey. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hand it over to you and let us paint your story for us. Okay. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for inviting me, I guess, first of all. So, you know, as we all know, Darden was not a HR school. Like, it would never out of ever be categorized as an HR school. But, you know, when I think in the end of my first year, I started toying with this idea of, hey, it would be really interesting to apply some of these contexts in a more people-oriented role, right? And, and I had this thought, which is, you know, if you look at financing, if you look at investments, you know, if you've got the, the right structure there, the right advisors, you can be successful. But, you know, the people piece, if you're not doing it right, then you, I, I didn't necessarily think that a company that was going to succeed was if you didn't have the right people strategy with that. Mm. So, I was super lucky that first year at the summer internship at Darden because I got an internship at Allied Signal, which at the time was being run by Larry Bossidy. And mm-hmm. we come from GE, you know, big human capital focus in Larry's strategy. And that was where I joined after Darden, right? So I was, in that sense, I was super lucky because I came in to an organization that was in the midst of an HR transformation with a CEO who really believed in the power of a strong people strategy and strong people capabilities. And I I also came in with, I worked with a phenomenal group of people, many of whom 25 years later, I'm still really good friends with and I'm in in contact with. And, 
And it was a group of people who were passionate about the function and who were also passionate about developing people like me, who had no real background in HR, but who had the passion for the function. And Martha, so, did, did you, Martha, did, Rook, did you, I know Henshaw went into the Allied Signal as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I, I, my recollection is he went into a training program, similar, a rotational program, similar to what Doug did as an undergraduate at GE. Is that what you did too? Or did you go straight into the HR function? No, I did the same thing. So my, but my, the interesting thing was my three rotations. The first one was in a manufacturing plant in Philadelphia, a unionized manufacturing plant in Philadelphia. The second one, this is when I left HR, I went and ran a customer service group for a year. And then I came back into HR and then I went through the program. And when people talk to me about jobs that I've had, that customer service job was the best learning job of my life. Um, my first thing on the job, I had a woman who was working for me who turned to me and said, you know, Martha, I've been doing this job longer than you've been alive, and it, which is a very humbling comment when somebody tells you that. And because, of course, I had that reputation. Oh, she's she's on this Pathways program. You know, she's this MBA. She's just going to come in and fire us all because we're, you know, we're old and, and, and that wasn't the case at all. Right. So um, it was, uh, but it was a really great program because it, you know, it was a year in sort of each role enough time to do, to, to have a learning, to have some impact. And then you moved and, and there was a cross-functional piece of that. So I think that was, um, it was a great place, you know, at the time it was a great place to come in and learn. And there was a real commitment on the part of the leaders of the program to helping us develop and, and probably just much, much much like the GE programs, really accelerate the learning in a short time, right? So I was at Allied and, you know, somewhat looking to say, hey, what comes next? And this was um, 1999 when um, Amazon.com was just sort of getting going. And I actually had a job offer to join Amazon to take over the HR management of one of their distribution facilities. And so I quit Allied and, um, and Allied came back and said, we don't think you should quit. We have a better job for you. And, um, and I was like, okay, what are they going to beat like this? How are they going to beat this one? And they came and they said, okay, we want to send you to Milan, Italy to work on this acquisition integration. And um, it was, it was, you know, it was one of those times when a counter offer was very successful. I mean, who knows in retrospect, if I had joined Amazon in 1999, if I would be like at a beach like Joanna is today, but (laughs) but, no, it really was in terms of the offer and the job, it was transformational also for my life. Right. So I went from, you know, I went, I was supposed to go to Milan for 18 months. I was working on the acquisition, this acquisition of a Allied at the time was trying to build up a pharmaceutical fine chemicals business supporting big pharma. And, um, and here I was a relatively young female going into work with a bunch of old, older Italian colleagues who, who there's a word in Italian for a, um, you know, for like teenagers in Italian. And the word is um, ragazzo for a boy or ragazza for a girl. And so I heard one day somebody talking about la ragazza and realized like la ragazza was me. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it was like, because they came, the ally gave me tons of responsibility in this role, right? They, I became, I had technical signature authority for the whole Italian operations, which for somebody in their thirties was like, oh my God, like, 
that doesn't happen. And it certainly doesn't in, you know, 1999, 2000, it doesn't happen to a female either. So that was a, and I fell in love with the country at the same time. Right. So I, um, I really enjoyed working here. And so in the fact um, my, I kept trying to ways to extend this job in Italy. I didn't really want to go back to the U S I had met by that point, my now husband and, um, and then finally the head of HR was like, Martha, you know, enough, it's time to come back. And I was like, you know, I don't really think I want to come back. And I was, I was lucky at the time because this was, there was a lot of change going on in the organization. So I left and um, I decided to say, okay, look, I'm going to try to find something in Europe. And I was super lucky because a lot of my allied colleagues had left. And so they threw me a lot of independent work. And um, I, so I was an independent consultant for about a year and I hated it. I, I missed being part of a team. This was sort of a insight into me. Like I am much happier as part of a team, as part of an organization. <clears throat> so I started looking for a new job and I found a role with uh, Sharing Plow, which is now part of Merck Sharp and Dome, <clears throat> running, you know, HR for European manufacturing. So interestingly enough, the role was, technically based in New Jersey, um, but I spent 70% of my time on an airplane over here. So, um, it, and it, but it was also, it was a really great role because it was the, it was in, I had gone into a new role. So it was an opportunity to really help shape the talent agenda. And while I was at Sharing, we did a couple, we did a major acquisition of a company in the Netherlands. So uh, I had the opportunity to go and live in, the southern part of the Netherlands for a year. And that is, I think, a, you know, one of the things which for me, living and experiencing different cultures, I love that, right? So it was a it was a great opportunity. It was also a really complex challenge because in the Netherlands, you have to convince the Works Council to let uh, acquisition happen. And so I spent the better part of six months answering all kinds of questions. But um, one of my favorite moments from that was there was a point that we had negotiated that was closed and they put it on the table again. And um, I called the head, I called the CHRO and I said, look, I'm walking out. I'm going to walk out right now. And he was like, well, tell me why you want to walk out. And he said, he said, no, that's the right thing to do. Walk out. And so, you know, he had had to go and tell the CEO at the time she's walking out of the negotiations. Um, and, but it recalibrated everything. It really, the works council realized like, okay, you know, once again, a relatively younger female in the scheme of things was absolutely serious about what she'd said. So it came back. The next day I came back, the CFO flew over from the U.S. and sort of backed me up, right? We, and we eventually got through the process. But if I think about another sort of great learning in my experience was, you know, having to do that deal in the Netherlands. Mm. And then um, is, the, mm. is the is the is the lesson for you, Martha, was it was it the power of the walk away or, or, or it was the power of the walk away. You, know, you think about bargaining and negotiating. Right. And there was always that conversation about walk away. And, and I'm not necessarily I, you know, I've had discussions with people about labor negotiations. And, and I honestly believe that that it's much better to talk and keep talking rather than walking away or striking. Because once, once you strike or once you walk away, you, you've sent a really strong message and it's hard to get communication back on track. Mm. But it's also really important to say, you know, that 
if you if you put your word on something and then you decide to go back at, at on it at the eleventh hour, hey, come on, you, we've gotten to this whole point in negotiation based on this foundational element that you agreed in the first phase, and to go back on that, you know, you deserve you deserve to have me walk away from the table. Well, it could just everything could start to unwind all the way through, right? Exactly, exactly, because all these things have been built to make with this assumption on it. And then, you know, you're, you're, wait a second, that was, we, we debated that three months ago. Why are you bringing that up again? Did you take that, did you take, uh, one quick, one quick question, then I'll uh, let Joanna speak. I, uh, did you take the bargaining and negotiation class at Darden? I did. I did. Yeah. 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 Was I, I had it, I think it was, was it an elective or was it required? I think it was, it was elective. Like, I think it was second second year's elective, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've re- I remembered. I had Sherwood Fry. Who did you have? I had Sherwood too. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Thank God. That was a great class. You know what I learned the most from that class was, do never put me in charge of a negotiation. I was so bad at negotiation. I think I was that guy in the class that lost like every single <laughs> negotiation, or you know, however you defer, de- de- define losing. But I learned. I'm like, okay, if there's ever negotiation, I'm putting somebody else in charge because I'll just give it all away. Um, all right, Joanna. <laughs> I, think a, I think it's practice, though. I would think. But one of the things, yeah. Martha, I've just and you were not even like through to where you are now, but it's that you had a consistent path of leadership, sponsoring, promoting. Of course, it was based on your skills and Mm -hmm. your performance. However, we all know there's times when that's not the case. You may be What would have you done if that leader did not back you up? I mean, how, how would have you walked in there as, your own integrity with the deal. I mean, it's probably, it could be a whole just podcast on that, but I'm just curious about that. You know, I I think part, one of the things is it gets back down to trust, right? Like, so I I was in that sense, I think you, before you go into something like that, which has such big, big stakes on the table, right? You need to know that there's complete clarity between what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And how does the person trust you? Because I was at that point, the only point on the person on the ground from from sharing, like there was some, you know, there was some, there was some attorneys, uh, deal attorneys around, there was some investment bankers. Uh, But in that conversation that day, I was the only sharing cloud person. And so I think, you know, I wouldn't necessarily make a jump like that if I knew that my leadership wasn't aligned, right? Because I think there's, you need to have the trust, you need to have the alignment, because you just don't, you just don't make a radical move like that without knowing that you're all in the same place, right? Because that's a, it's a, like I said, philosophically, I'm not a person that walk, I don't like to walk away because I think it, you know, you, you, when you stop communicating, you, you put yourself back a lot, right? So I did it was it was really it had to be really serious for me to do that. I suspect you probably also had the uh, support of your bankers as well. And if they were in the, they were probably supporting you in, in the, their negotiation, their discussions with your leadership as well, right? Or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we would we would talk like every day in terms of hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. Are we getting close? Are we getting close? You know, because they were like, are you going to get the advice? Are you going to get the advice? Are you going to get the advice? I'm like, 
we will get it, but we will get it on the terms that we need to get it on, right? So, I mean, you know, you, you can't tie your hands behind my back, right, as well. So, so the good news, it was it was successful. We, we were able to close the deal. And then I got to go back and work on acquisition integration for a year, living in the southern part of the Netherlands, which is, which is not quite as picturesque as around other parts of the Netherlands, but it was, it was an interesting experience. And um, I was doing that. And then I went, I came back into like another regular HR role. I went and um, became the head of HR for Sharing Cloud's commercial operations in Europe. And then we were acquired by Merck Sharp and Dome and like any, and this was a big merger and, um, and there was obviously a lot of, you know, potential synergy targets, as we say, or, you know, layoffs coming. And um, they actually asked me to go back to the Netherlands, right? And, and I was like, no way. And, um, and this is one of those things where I think you gotta, when you're offered jobs, you really have to look and see what is the job and what does the person want me of, want me to do in it. And I knew that they wanted to do a lot of reshaping the Dutch operation. And I said, look, you need somebody who speaks Dutch to do that. It's not me. It's, it's, yeah, I spent a lot of time there. I know the works council, but it's not me. And the, the great thing was, um, and so when I had gone, when I turned down the offer, I had every, I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be laid off, but you know, I'll find something new. And the great thing was Merck came back with a, a new job for me to be based in Stockholm, which was fantastic. And to run a, a chunk of Europe, right? So it was, I was one of the few people that stayed on after the merger. Uh, but it, it, the great thing was it got me back to Europe on the ground versus this commuting piece, which was much a better lifestyle for myself and my husband. Um, because you know, we, we commuted for a long time. We commuted for six years, uh, which is a testament, I think, to uh, we had a little break there for a bit, but it was a testament to saying we, we both thought we'd found the right person. Um, and so then I was up in Stockholm for a couple of years. And um, but one thing is in HR, you like you, you know, it's part of the job is to hire people and then to let people go. Right. And but at some point you become too much of an expert at letting people go, I think, especially you know, people who were in HR, you know, and I would say the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of restriction. There was a lot of movement to low cost countries and people got, we all got very familiar with, you know, how to move a factory from here to there and how to consolidate things. And I was at to the point, I was like, wait a second, I don't want to keep doing this anymore. Um, and luckily, a guy that I had worked with, you know, once again, Joanna, getting back to your point about sponsorship, who I'd worked with at Sharing Cloud called and said, Hey, I've got this job at GlaxoSmithKline. It's perfect for you. Why don't you move to Brussels? Uh, so we packed up the family and moved to Belgium. Uh, and I must admit, you know, Belgium is a Belgium is a country that gets a really bad rap. And, but Belgium is actually a great place to live. It's super, super international. You can get whatever you want on any corner of this of any street corner. Um, the weather isn't that great, but it's super close to places like Paris or London, Amsterdam. Um, you know, we would, we were saying, my husband and I often say that we would move back to Brussels again. If we didn't love living in Italy, Brussels would be a, is a great place to live. And, um, I was with Glaxo in their vaccines group, 
Uh, and so the last year and a half has been very interesting because I know a lot of people in vaccines who are who've been very passionate about getting a vaccine to market and super, super proud. Um, in fact, one of my ex-Glaxo colleagues runs manufacturing for Moderna. Um, mm-hmm. And when his vaccine, when I got his vaccine, I sent him a very note saying, please tell all your manufacturing guys today that I really, really appreciate what they've done. Um, but that was, it was a great purpose-driven organization. So if you, if you, when you meet people who work in vaccines, they are super passionate about what they do. Um, there was a guy who we had in the team who, in the R&D team, who worked on an, a vaccine for malaria. And he literally wanted to understand the disease more. So he caught malaria on purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was it, it was a it was a really interesting organization. And but as luck would have it, a, a headhunter friend of mine called and said, Martha, I know you're you haven't been at Glaxo too long, but I've got the perfect job for you. Um, it's with Bridgestone, the tire company. And so uh, it was and the Bridgestone job is probably one of my favorite jobs in my whole career because it was a combination of a business transformation and turning around a Bridgestone's business in Europe, which at the time when I arrived was was not doing well at all, as well as an HR transformation. So I got to re, I got to redo my team, work on the processes, work on the technology, and it was a really really fun fun job. I love that was a job that I loved just just working with um, a, a team of you know about eighteen thousand employees all across EMEA. Um, and I got to really build a fantastic team that helped me make do that. And that was, that was really, that was probably the funnest part of that job. Hmm. Where were you living? Where were you living for that assignment? I, I was up in Brussels then I was up. So, okay. you know, it was, um, the funny thing was, you know, like I worked all of like six miles from the office. Uh, but where, where I was in Brussels was our house in the office, there was no public transportation to take. So every day it would take me between 20 minutes and two hours, right? So I got to, I started cursing any meeting at NATO because our office was very close to NATO. And I'd be like, oh my God, it's a NATO day. It's a two hour commute. Um, But in the meantime, on the personal side, my husband and I, we got married. We actually ended up getting married in Italy. We did the, we did the ceremony in Sweden. We did the marriage, did the party down here. And we fell in love with this part of Italy, this Piemonte um, region. And we used to always come back here for um, our wedding anniversary, right? So one time we're back and we, in it, I have the like a side of me is that I love to like look at houses. I love architecture. And I just started like looking at these houses and I was like, oh, God, wouldn't it be great to have a house down here? Like we could escape the bad weather in Brussels, come down for the weekend. And um, even though we vowed that we would not be that couple that buys a fixer upper in Italy and then spends years trying to turn it into a habitable place. Um, we, that's exactly what we, we were. Um, so we bought this house, we renovated it. Uh, we did a lot of, um, you know, working with Italian workmen, my husband, um, he had sort of semi-retired when we moved to Brussels. So he took on the house project as a full-time assignment. And, um, and then the house was ready. And we realized that, you know, we were kind of like, you know, He's like, you know, maybe it's time for us to move down there full time, like and kind of go into maybe do some consulting on the side, do some retirement. But let's uh, what if we moved to Italy? And 
And I happened to be, I was in, so I was like, I kind of like that idea. And so I was networking with some colleagues in Milan that I knew from years ago. And one of these guys is like, hey, where is that house of yours? And I was telling him and he said, oh, you know, there's an HR job down there. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not really sure. And he's like, oh, no, no, just go and talk to them. So I, I go and talk to this Italian diagnostics company, which in 2019, the world of diagnostics, I didn't really know that much about diagnostics. I was like, oh yeah, I have blood tests, things like that. Now, for, flash forward two years later, everybody knows what a PCR test is. Um, but it, so I joined this, this medium-sized Italian company. Um, the name of the company is Diasor, and it's based here in the province of Vercelli. Uh, it is a... Um, it may, it does all, it was the first, in fact, company that did vitamin D testing. Um, mm. And in, in fact, has grown from there to, it's a really specialty diagnostic. So we specialize in really looking for, you know, um, you know, for example, early detection of Lyme disease, things like that. Um, and when I first got down here, it was a little weird because I, you know, you'd be trying to work on some projects and people like diagnostics, diagnostics. And then needless to say, in the two years since COVID, um, the business has exploded and we've been crazy busy. So um, it's been a fun ride, but it's, you know, it's, it's, I love being back in Italy again. It's a great country to live in. It's um, even with all of the pandemic, you know, it's still beautiful. It's a beautiful place to live. The, the people that you live and work with are super friendly and very, you know, our neighbors are super welcoming to us. They're always worried about, you know, are we doing okay? And, you know, last year when they knew that we hadn't been able to see our families, they were really outgoing and very warm, you know, during the holiday season, bringing us over stuff, asking about stuff. And then um, we also adopted an Italian street dog, which is just added another part, wonderful part to our life, um, named Elvis, Elvis the Italian street dog. So, Martha, um, I think uh, in, in some of our other discussions, we've we've we have come to the conclusion that the graduates who uh, spoke to to us at school when they said, you know, the two most important classes here are the ones that you do not think are important being OB and communications, you know, at the top of the pyramid, it seems always that those are the, uh, that and selling are, those are the sort of three, three things you got to have. Uh, you spent your whole life, obviously in, in HR, um, you know, what, you know, I struggle with hiring. I struggle with, uh, uh, with, uh, uh, not so much the mentorship, but more of the the sort of the feedback, the the uh, the review process, and then uh, no one really likes you know corrections and and um, and and terminating folks. That's a horrible part of the job. But uh, you know, of those kind of three big areas, what areas do you think if you could go back and and tell yourself? when you were graduating, you know, what are the, what's the areas that you felt that you were, had a talent in and, and why, and tell us, you know, give us, a, give us a, a good hint on that. And then what areas do you think that you fell short on it and, and why? Um, so I, you know, your that communications, and this is funny because that communications class had stuck with me 
throughout my career, right? And, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it, but then also I, how I've used some of the ways that they taught us when I've been dealing with employees, right? That, con- you know, that concept of writing, you know, you used to have to write feedback on, we had our, we had our communications class on Friday afternoons. And I can remember writing feedback on Friday afternoons to give to people. And that has, and people always, you know, one of the things that I get a lot of feedback on today, because I do a lot of presentations in, in, throughout the course of the career and people compliment my presentation skills and, it solely goes back to Darden, right? Because Darden sort of instilled, I think, in in me in particular, I'll say, a sort of a rigor around communications, the rigor around simplification of your writing style, and the rigor around presentation, but also how you are when you present, right? Like it's that difference between mm, being like really sullen and not smiling versus sort of bringing a topic to life. So that would, that is one thing I completely agree with all of those people that said, you know, pay attention to this because it's really important. The, when I think back about what I think I was lacking and, and I'm not sure Darden was great at this and you guys are probably much better at it, especially you, Tom, and given to some of the stuff that you did is, is the technology piece, right? Like I, I, if I reflect at the time where we were coming out, there was so much innovation going on in technology. And I, if it was there at Darden, I certainly didn't grasp it, right? I didn't, and I didn't necessarily understand, okay, wow, this is going to be really reshaping our world in the next five to 10 years. And that would be the one thing that, you know, I would go back and tell myself, like, pay a lot more attention to technology because it is going to cause a major shift in how we do things, right? So much of, I, I, yes, especially in the HR field, because everything has been moving towards automation, including elimination of performance reviews, as you know, mm-hmm. where it's just right. an right. automated activity. I mean, I've worked on workday implementations, Ariba, like in, uh, timekeeping systems, all of those things. And, um, and I'm sure in all your transformation projects, you were also dealing with the system integrations and the retraining of people. And especially in Europe, what you data you can share and what you can't share and what you can upload, um, the complexity on a global basis. Um, I think I would say, yeah, that would be um, having worked closely with HR over the path of my career. Um, man, they were always dumped on in terms of all that data and everything they had to go through. And uh, and then all heads would turn and go, where is it? Where's the information? And all the HR people scrambling and digging it through and trying to trying to decipher what it is. So um, what's, I, your, what's your head count? Like my least favorite yeah. question in the world. And then, you, and then you have to be honest and say, well, we don't know because... <laughs> So whoever fill, whoever figures out the answer to the headcount question will make millions and millions and will make many HR people happy, right? Isn't that scary, guys, <laughs> if you think about it, that that is an ongoing issue in today's right. world that at, yep. a, at a fingertip, a CEO cannot quickly tell you their headcount. 
because define headcount. Is it FT? Is it contractor? Is it part-time? Is it this? Is it that? And and you'd get the escalations all the time from to the CFO's office. Why the heck can't we figure this out? <laughs> um, well, change even in big enough organizations is changes throughout the day, right? You're always hiring, firing. It, and exactly, all that stuff exactly. There, people yeah. are leaving, people are coming. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it, working in HR, Martha, I am, I've always worked in small companies. I mean, I'm sort of the zero to 30 guy. Um, you sounds like you've been in organizations that are in the, you know, um, you know, handful of thousands to tens, 20, 30 more thousands. What's, you know, what, what is, what do you, what, you know, tell me about your job. What do you, what are you doing as a, you know, senior HR person at that, at that level? Global yeah. commercial HR leader to be exact. <laughs> Thank you, Joanna. Um, so the, so the interesting thing was, you know, when I was up at, when I was in Brussels and I was saying, okay, what comes after Bridgestone? I kept saying, I said, oh, you know, I am really, really tired of these big organizations. I want something smaller. I want something faster because it just takes so long to get anything done. Right. Um, and I think, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, in, in, in sort of my day now is, you know, it's a common, because it's a smaller organization, so it's a combination of strategy, hey, where are we going? But then there's like detailed conversations of, hey, look, we're trying to calculate this person's bonus, and can we take this, this, and this element out? And that is that consistency across all the countries, right? So it, it goes, it's, in one sense, it's really interesting, because it's so varied, and that's one of the things which I love about my job, right? Um, but I think in a smaller, the, the thing I miss in big, the bigger organizations is that there is time for more, there was time for more, I would say, thinking. Maybe, maybe that also translated somewhat into your bureaucracy, but because you had, you had the luxury of being both, you know, being both thinking about implementation because of what didn't have to get done right away versus, um, Versus, I think, a smaller company where you don't have a lot of resources, there's more of a jack of all trades kind of thing, right? Which is which is great on a daily basis, but sometimes, you know, I, I sort of step back and say, oh, I wish I was being more thoughtful about some of this stuff, like, you know, thinking, but it's, you know, smaller kind of company, things need to get done, you know, customers need to be served, okay, let's just move, let's make it happen. Yeah, I mean... Um... You know, I'm thinking of the HR function. Uh, you know, you have blocks of it, and you know, part of it is just the, uh, you know, the the short order cook kind of. You know, I have these. I got to get payroll done. I've got to get hiring done. I've got to get training done. I got all this stuff that's got to get done on a daily basis, and I've got a team that you're managing that's doing all of those things, right? Um, yeah. Um, but I would imagine, but you've also got sort of the strategy of, well, how are we going to, what is our compensation system going to look like? What is our, mm -hmm. you know, what is our feedback, you know, or our, our, uh, our review cycle going to be and, and how are we going to manage that is, you know, what, what did you typically spend the majority or, you know, when you were in a bigger organization and now that you're, how small is your organization? today 2000 we're, well, we were so we were about 2000 and then we did an acquisition so we're now about 3500 right so all of a sudden we're you know 
practically doubled in size. And Mia Wide. And, and Mia Wide's 3,500. Or is me? it all Italy? Is it all Italy or just? No, so, I, so this is our global team, right? So right. we went from, you know, our Italian operations, we had about 700 people or so. Right. And globally, we had 2,000. And then boom, with this acquisition, all of a sudden we've got 3,500. And the other thing is that we shifted. So we had most of our employee base in Europe. And now we've pretty much got equal employee base, equal revenues, actually more revenues in the US, more employees in the US than we had. And so all of a sudden we've now become this Italian American company, which is is interesting for me, right? Because as the American Italy, I was sort of the lone wolf here two, two and a half years ago when I started. You know, now there's a bunch of Italians who are running around the US from our, you know, our, our leaders and, um, and they're trying to figure out this whole American thing, right. In there. So they'll come to me and be like, Hey, you know, why do these guys keep leaving at five o'clock? You know, because the work day in Italy is slightly longer and, you know, but everybody in Italy had takes an hour for lunch. Right. But maybe they're leaving between six and seven, right. Versus eat, Americans are probably eating at their desk and then leaving at five. So, um, so my day, I most the interesting thing is I would say most of my career has been spent working on I would say different elements of the talent agenda, right? So whether it's hey, do we have the right structure for our organization, or do we have the right people and the right jobs, or are we building the capabilities? So you know when I was in Big Pharma, we were at a plate, we were at a time there where we were building different capabilities in the organization because that classic model of a pharma sales rep going to a doctor was going away. And instead the role of healthcare economics was emerging, the role of key opinion leader management was emerging. So you had to change the jobs. Now we're kind of doing the same thing in diagnostics. We're somewhat following what big pharma did. So we're looking at saying, okay, how do you create more pull for the product in the sense of, you know, what, you know, now everybody knows about testing, right? So how do you leverage that to say, hey, you know, are you going and getting these regular blood tests every year or every six months? You know, this is why you should be doing this kind of test. And that's a very different skill set, right? Than, than this person who used to go out and say, oh, here, buy our testing kits laboratory. And so it's, you know, for example, when I first got here, I was, I worked a lot with- So, so um, you're, Bartha, so hmm. you, were, you were trying- you were you were changing the business model and so you had a team of people that look like a and you're like hey we're gonna look like b how do we get from this this team of a to b and trying to trying to figure out how to do that gracefully maybe retrain folks maybe hire folks maybe terminate you know maybe uh you know terminate some folks is that that. exactly exactly yeah. Yeah. And how much of that? Uh, so you must have been hand, you know, hand in glove with the business units, I would assume. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So, you know, I, you know, I work with the, I work with our, you know, the guy who runs sales for us globally. And we, you know, we are talking like, three or four times a day, right? Like, right. so, you know, during the pandemic, we were always on speed dial practically, yeah. but you're, you know, and part of it is, you know, for example, like there's things in HR, think payroll, you know, I could never do payroll. Like, and, and this is one of the things that I often say to my team, which is, you know, you know, yeah, I may be 
interacting every day with the VP of sales and doing X, Y, and Z, but I could never do your job because I don't have the capabilities to be able to run payroll, but I need to be smart enough to make sure that I've got the best and most capable payroll people yeah. that I can possibly have. Right. Right. And that's one of the things which I think is also a key learning for me is that, you know, regardless of what those jobs are in your organization, which you may, you know, some people may categorize in different ways, but those are essential to make the whole, make the whole system work. Right. So you better not necessarily, you better pay attention to making sure you've got the right people in payroll who are also open in who can, who have a super attention to detail, but who are also open to change and making things easier for, for their mm. customer, which is the employee. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, sorry, John, go ahead. No, go ahead, Mark. I mean, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, as a Mark, I don't even. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, just you know, when I, you know, like when I think of HR as a, a, a you know, a business owner or, or a senior manager, I just think, um, much like I think accounting and legal, I like, I know there's a pit of snakes in there that are just dying to bite me. <laughs> Who do I go to? You know, how do I make sure that that uh, <laughs> That that I don't you know fall into that pit of snakes, and it sounds to me, like Martha, is what you know you have, you know, and 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 you know being a technology guy, I think that I you know people would you know look at me the same way, often saying, okay, I know there's a bunch of weird stuff in there that it just isn't going to work, you know, I need somebody that can speak my language, you know, the senior manager language, but knows all the gory details of, of what's down in there. And it sounds like that's what you've, uh, that's the person that you are today is, you know, hey, I've done enough. I don't, I'm not the payroll, exper payroll expert, but I know enough to be dangerous and to say, okay, here's a bunch of, you know, third rails that we got to be aware of. Is that is that accurate? Exactly, exactly. And that's where I think that's one of the values of Darden, right? Because for an HR person, right, it never have sort of fallen into the function after Darden, right? Because of Darden being a general management school, there was a lot of exposure to things like operations, finance, et cetera, right? So for example, the, you know, I have this finance guy who's like, you know, I can at least talk to you about EBIT and you understand what I'm talking about and why I need to do this, right? And not that I need to do the EBIT calculation, but I know what he's talking about. And that's where Darden adds a lot of value to me, right? Because when I'm a, the, that business partner, right, um, I, can under, I can understand the business part because of the Darden part, right? So even though I'm applying my skill set in HR, because that dart in general management background, it lets me at least able to relate to these guys, right? So last week I was having a conversation with the head of supply chain and talking to him about, hey, how are we going to redesign your organization? And and he was like, well, like, you know a lot about supply chain. I was kind of like, well, not, not really, but I know enough to help you think in a way that you need to think. Yeah, I I. I have to say, uh, HR was a client for many years, as well as as a manager of people that I had to use services. And I watched how many managers completely abdicate, even thinking about the snakes in the pit, and expect the HR, and in many times, gal, to handle it. And that actually does not, then, then what happens, and I've been lucky because I'm always busy as a change management person to go, those managers don't know how to lead. 
they don't understand how to develop an employee. They don't understand why it's so important that their OT be calculated in that way and that they get it in that term and everything else. So there's this fine line between HR being a pure servant of just keep my employee happy to this group of people that maybe understand how to use it strategically. And I think it's sad in many times that the organizations choose to hire people that are just HR doers Mm -hmm. versus thinkers, because that's the model that they want. And um, I, I mean, I'd love to hear your perspective on it because it sounds like you've had this great path of working in an organization. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool, Martha, that you have become, you know, that, that, that clearly, you know, the, the, the story that you were talking about early on when allied was like, Hey, we want, you know, no, you can't go to Amazon. You, we have to find a good thing for you. Just, you know, speaks volumes to the kind of person that you were at 29, 34 years old. And, and, and the skills and all that, and that people weren't afraid of them to be at the table. Because yeah. many times I've watched some really great HR business partners get disinvited because they actually push the envelope and were at, truly at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the business unit you know the i'll say that the interesting thing is you know it, that whole conversation of are you going to be at the table or or don't you be at the table right because that has been you know sort of very much of a theme over the course of the career right and and jamanda this gets back to something you were saying before about that ex- executive sponsorship but but i've also been as i've looked at roles i've been very cautious about or not cautious but Grilling the leader who I've gone, had an opportunity to work for or work with and making sure it was the right move. Like there was a part, there was an early part of my career where I had a job offer from a very, from a, a place that, you know, I won't name the name, but you, but you guys would all recognize. And, and I knew that the only reason that they were making the offer to me was because of my pedigree, right? Because I was an HR person. I was coming from a, out, of, out of Allied Signal, which had a fantastic reputation. And I had the MBA from Darden. And I knew it was, and I was female. Check, check, check. But I also knew the guy didn't believe. The guy was not, the guy was like, absolutely not a believer in HR. And I, and I remember saying to the, to the headhunter, like, no, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take the job. And, and she was blown away. And I said, but look, this is my feedback for the CEO. And I'm more than willing to give him that feedback one-on-one and why I won't take the job. And I, like, I literally, you know, did this whole detail and, and, and he came back and he was like, you know, I, I, I can change. And I was like, no, it's, it's not in your heart. You're just doing it because your board is pushing you. Right. So I think that that's, you know, you get, you also, and I, obviously different people are in different economic places at different times. And you sometimes have to, you know, sometimes people have to do things. Right. But I did try to always be core to that to say, Hey, I, I want somebody who gets it versus just fighting to get at the table, right? Now, I think the key thing for, but I think getting back to the sort of the start in piece, right? If you understand the business, right? That helps a lot in terms of, you know, they might not agree with you, right? But, but you can have a, 
a fact-based conversation and just agree to disagree at the end of the day, right? And and they respect you for, okay, well, yeah, I don't agree with you, Martha, but I'm going to do my own thing, but thanks for your advice. And yeah, you're, you're still here and I still expect you to do what you're doing, right? So. Martha, I've got... I've got a, you know, I, you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, we aspire to with this podcast is the ability to, to glean what we have from our careers and, and, you know, and, and to think about going back and if we could have that conversation with our younger self. Um, one of the things that I think is remarkable about, remarkable about your career is while you've been consistent in your, uh, your craft You've worked for a lot of different organizations and you've been at a lot of crossroads, you know, throughout your career. Do I take this job opportunity or not? You mentioned one just there that that you elected not to. But um, obviously, you've 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 had a lot of times to think about these opportunities. What are some what what's some advice or takeaways that you've um you know, that you've learned from those decisions and uh, that, that you would tell your former self? Right. You know, there was, a, I think there was, this was when we were at Darden, people were often saying, you don't take a job for a boss. You take the job for the job. Mm-hmm. And I personally disagree with that 100%. Because I think to the, the, if I think about my personal learning journey, a lot has happened because of the person who I've worked with and worked for, right? Mm-hmm. And they have helped me learn, they've helped me grow. Even, even I would say, if the, I can remember my first job out of Darden, I, I had a really bad boss who was just, oh. and you know, I remember my sort of uh, coach was saying to one of my coaches, said, yeah, but you know what? That really bad boss, although you, you would never work for him again, he did give you a lot of learnings and you've incorporated that into how you lead others. And I said, yeah, but I never want to relive that year again. <laughs> um, so, so I think, so the first thing is I would always, my, my advice, I'd say always, yeah, the job has to be challenging. The job has to be exciting. And you got to say, Hey, this is going to give me some passion, but you also need to say, who is the person that I'm going to work with? Because they influence your daily life. They influence, you know, what you're learning, what you're growing, the opportunities there. So never ever underestimate the importance of the leader that you're working with right yeah. so I, I suppose in the in that you know like that example you just gave where you didn't take the job because you didn't you didn't believe the guy was serious about people um and the hr function the jobs that you did take it was it was it was the other way you you believed it, 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 exactly yeah. exactly so if i think about you know some sometimes like when the merck merck sharing cloud merger happened i just inherited a box right so that one i didn't have a lot of choice and that was more driven by personal desire of where i wanted to live um uh the i think but if i think of sort of you know when i went to work for bridgestone the you know, the guy who I interviewed with, I just connected with him right away. And I knew I came home to my husband. And I said, this is where I want to work. I want this job. And, and it was a, you know, it was a, we really had a great philosophical alignment. We didn't always agree on things. We, you know, we had our, like I said, we had our disagreed to disagree. And I learned tons from them, right? And in, in, in the five years that we worked together, it was a great experience. Um, so I think that is, it's really, it helps sort of shape you and what, you know, what you're trying to learn and continuously grow. So that's important. What 
could you leave us with as a quote or something like a Martha rally call? Um, what's like off the top of your head? What's in your heart? What do you want to leave us with? Oh my gosh. Wow. That's say that's an all encompassing phrase. Um, you know, if I were to say this, uh, there's a couple of things, which one, and, and I think this is relevant for people at Darden today, because we never would have talked about this kind of stuff when we were at Darden, like the whole, the whole mental health thing. And, you know, if I think, you know, sort of in this HR space, it's still very much taboo. Like it is still very much taboo to talk about mental health, to talk about balance. And, and I think, Early in our career, we were probably all, you know, working late, you know, that competition of, hey, it's okay, I can, I can go all hours and it's okay. So, but I think, you know, my, and I see, the funny thing is, I say this to my millennial employees who are working for me, who are working all kinds of crazy hours. And, and I said, look, guys, you must recharge, right? Because if you don't recharge, you don't think as well. And you don't come up with the kind of solutions that you need to come up with. So, so recharging is, you know, if you want to put all those hours in, you got to figure out how you recharge, because if you don't, you're not going to be as creative. You're not going to be, you're not going to give the potential. You're not going to be able to bring your full potential to work. Um, And that's still, I think that's still a place that is um, somewhat, you know, taboo to talk about in in corporate America, but even, even corporate Europe. Right. And then I would always, then my personal advice, of course, is always, you know, if you see the shoes and you love the shoes, buy the shoes. (laughs) 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 Because Doug and Tom probably don't know that, but during the pandemic, I was also doing this, like, the Martha Daily Shoe Diaries, where I would be wearing one pair of my shoes that I would be walking around the house wearing and try to find unique places in the house to take a picture, right? Like, oh, I'm going to wear my little Todd's loafers against the 3M, you know, rumble strip on my street for that industrial chic leather look. So when in doubt, buy the shoes. I know what next industry you're targeting. <laughs> right, like, so somebody, somebody once said to me, what would be your dream job? And I was like, oh my God, to be the head of HR for, for Prada or Todd's. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the employee discount. Well, yeah. Well, um, like we were ending it by giving the, giving some great tips on just recharging and i have to tell you you recharged me and i i have a feeling you did the same for tom and doug so i am again very very happy to have had this hour to chat and connect with you all of us so thank you so much me too it's been great to see you guys like i say it's like so far away sometimes that you wish you were closer so it's been good to see you all